You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Josh Siegel, VP of People at Seven Shifts. So on this show, we've talked a lot about the employee journey. The first thing that comes to my mind are those key moments that matter that that every employee experiences. So what was the hiring experience like? How did my onboarding go? What? How were my work anniversaries and key accomplishments celebrated? Yeah, I think about my best work experiences, and you know, one that comes to mind is my last experience. And they like had all of this stuff mapped out to the T. At the time, I didn't know that, but in hindsight, they had their stuff figured out. It's interesting. The old school approach would have been to look at the employee life cycle or the hired or fire process, but that is just outdated. And I think most HR people today would agree that the employee journey, it isn't linear. You've got to look at it more broadly. More of an employee journey map would be a more effective way to approach it. I think you're right. But for the people leaders out there, they're like, what is an employee journey map? Like, how do I even go about creating it? What would you say to them? At first, I would say that's a great question. <laughs> In the past, like that would have been a major initiative, like an annual goal for, for the HR team. But our friends at Penn have created an employee journey designer tool and a ton of resources to support it that will allow you to do this in like five simple steps. Yeah, I mean, I've taken a look and I am super impressed with what they've built. It's customizable. You log in and there's a pre-built library of content that's waiting for you there so that you can easily yes. start crafting your unique employee journey. And did, did we mention that it's free? I don't think I mentioned that, right? Heck yeah, we love free. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as of now, it's not even officially launched. So only MPL listeners are getting early access to it. So if you want to try the employee journey designer, you have to follow these two simple steps. One, Grab your computer and go to pinhq.com slash MPL. That's pynhq.com slash MPL. From there, sign up with your work email and you're good to go. We are huge fans of Pin and we really believe in their product. So please go check it out right now. Josh Siegel, welcome to the Modern People Leader. Good to How be here. Thanks for having me, Stephen and Daniel. So as you know, we have a few traditions uh, and rituals on the Modern People Leader, the first of which is what we call good news stories. It's where we share a personal or work-related story from the past couple of weeks just to kick things off with a show of gratitude, positivity, and we typically like our guests to go first. So we can back you up if you need a minute or two, but if you're ready... I, I'm, I'm good. I've got one that's top of mind, is very pertinent. Great. It was my day yesterday... I have to call out Tech Talent North here in Toronto. So I had the privilege right. of sharing this event, bringing hundreds of people and culture leaders in tech here in Toronto all together. And we had the opportunity for in-person connection, a day of learning. I even got to strap on my boxing gloves for an afternoon energizer with their group. It was just an absolute blast. That's what's up. Like That sounds amazing. And second thing, we don't know each other well, but I, I wasn't able, we typically do a prep call. I wasn't able to join the prep call with you, but I did read in your notes that one of your life joys is being a karate instructor. So I would not have wanted to be on the other side of those gloves that you put on. 
<laughs> Nobody got hurt. It was just for fun. And uh, okay, we needed okay, to cool. stretch and like get the blood flowing after a big day of learning. Cool, cool, cool. Good. That's good to hear. So I, I don't mind going next. My my good news this week is we've got a Halloween party this weekend. This is the fourth year that we've had one. And in the past, my daughters were younger elementary school kids. So it was like kid and family oriented. Last year, we kind of sensed an awkwardness at our party because the girls are getting bigger. They're in middle school now. Things that never used to matter now matter a whole heck of a lot. And so we we're taking a different approach this year. We're we're having we're still going to have the girls are going to have their friends over, but we are we're going to have some adult fun. So we've invited our own friends, and so I'm looking forward to it. It's 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 an interesting thing being a parent because you get so tied to these old traditions, and then it's kind of sad you let go of those. But in my view, you create new ones, and you can be excited about the new ones as much as you were the old ones. So that's my good news. Stephen, you, you got to tell us the costume you have planned, though. Oh, <laughs> the costume. Well. I, that's still TBD, honestly. I, I won't even I won't even like lock that in quite yet because there's no ideas. It down. There there are a few ideas. We're doing a couple costume, and uh, my daughter's costumes are locked down, and so they they're going to be a witch and an angel. So kind of classic Halloween. But we're right now the front runners Bob Ross and his his the little trees. So I would be Bob Ross. And my my partner, my girlfriend, she would be the little little tree in the background there. So that's what our our current plan is. Love We're gonna have to see some photos. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going I'm going work related this week. So I I feel like the modern people leader is starting to feel like a legit business. So we we just formalized the business in January making it an LLC. And this week I was looking at our first bookkeeping report from our accountant. I We set up Asana and we have like all the different functions set up in different like portfolios and we have all these projects set up and we're very, very close to closing our first quarterly sponsor. So just, I guess, reflecting on the first three quarters of the year, it feels like we've made a ton of progress and yeah. Uh, it feels good, and I'm hoping we can keep it going. Like we have good momentum right now. That's Congrats great news. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an exciting year, that's for sure. And so, Josh, walk us through your story. Like, th th honestly, this is in the beginning was my favorite question. I've always called it our Brene Brown question. Like, what's your story? Tell us about you. What's your journey been like? You you've done a lot of amazing things. Tell us. Tell us a little bit about the journey that led to you becoming the VP of people at Seven Shifts. So I've got probably one of the most non-traditional paths to a head of people role that you're going to hear. I was a summer camp counselor, turned marketer, turned people and culture leader. Before shifting into the world of tech, I actually had the most Canadian foundation possible to my career. So I worked in both the beer and the weather industries. <laughs> I can't skate. So the getting like hockey in there for the Canadian career hat trick was impossible, uh, but I got as close as possible without playing in the NHL. Uh, the beauty for me, though, I, I really, truly believe that the non-traditional, non-linear background gives me a, like a different, unique lens to approach this people and culture space, which hopefully will uh, come out in this conversation that we have today. Love it. Love it. And, you know, I, I, 
I would I have to say like if it's the true Canadian background was it was it Molson or Labatt? Molson ah. was the enemy. We had to take them okay. down. Even better, even better. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about Seven Shifts. You're a Canadian company, and in I, I you've got a, a large market share, a large presence, but a lot of our our audience probably haven't heard of you. So, if you were explaining your business to a family member over like a Sunday roast dinner, how would you describe what Seven Shifts does? We are focused 100% on the restaurant industry, and it's all about team management. So, think about scheduling, task management payroll, tips distribution, the type of things that are happening in the back end to make sure that restaurant teams are operating as effectively as they possibly can. When I think about the company itself and how I would describe working there, I'll, I'll try to make this as simple as possible. It's great humans solving really meaningful challenges for an industry that we all really, really, really love. I know it's your podcast, but can I throw a question out to you two? Please. Awesome. Can you tell me about the best dining experience you've ever had? Oh, wow. I've had a lot. I'm 47. So that's a lot of dining experiences. I, 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 my one that just immediately came to mind was the, the first time I went to Nobu in Manhattan. Now there's Nobu's everywhere, but back then there was like one Nobu, maybe two, maybe one in LA. And and I'll never forget, like I had never been at a, a restaurant at the level where like you got fancy appetizers that were just like given to you free. And so I just thought that was so cool and it was an iconic name. And so that's one that that jumps out at me. I love it. You know, Daniel? I can't I can't think of one specific specific example. But what comes to mind is every time I spend time in Mexico, it feels like no matter where you go, it just feels like the service industry is taken like more seriously. There's some regard, like if you have um, a really good job as a waiter and they take their job so seriously. So anytime I'm with my my wife and her family and we're in Mexico, um, it even extends to like their ranch. They have people that work there at the ranch. It's like the level of service is just like the best. But I can't think of one restaurant. Like I was really, I was sitting here trying to think of one restaurant. And I couldn't think of one. But here's the beauty: it doesn't actually matter what the restaurant is. Both of you, as you were walking me through those memories, big smiles on your face. I could see how happy you were thinking about those experiences. And that's that's the magic of Seven Shifts. We're here to help unlock those moments across North America. Love it. And, and so, why should Daniel and I be jealous that you get to work there? This is so easy. Like I, the cheesy answer would be, well, I get to work with great people, but the truth is there are great people everywhere. So I'll give you a different answer that's seven shifts specific. When I go and visit customers, I get to stuff my face with some of the best food and drink on the planet. <laughs> so there, there's not many tech companies that can offer that as an answer. It's definitely hard to beat that. And I guess similar question to what you asked us, like what's what's the best food? Like what's some of the best food you've had from your customers? So I would say, like, I don't want to pick one customer. Uh, you know what? I have to pick one customer because I had one experience a couple of weeks ago that's so recent and so memorable. And I didn't even know they were a customer before I went. And I went to this beautiful little restaurant in Toronto called the Hyper Room, uh, Middle Eastern cuisine. The food was spectacular. 
cocktails were amazing. Some of the friendliest, most engaging staff I've ever got to interact with. And so we became friends with the bartender. We were just talking back and forth throughout the course of the night. He would throw us like a free drink periodically. I hope he doesn't get in trouble from his manager for that one. And at one point I was like, I got to ask a crazy question. Do you use software for your staff scheduling here? He goes, of course we do. We use seven shifts. And I get the biggest smile on my face. And he, we start talking about how I work there. And he goes on a half hour rant on how much he loves the software. He wouldn't recommend any other software in the space. He's like, I want to come work for you and sell your software. It was such a validating experience on what we're doing as an organization and the impact that we're having on restaurant staff. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um I almost want to go into a, a similar story that we had with Modern People Leader recently, but I'm not going to go there because we have limited time. But uh wanted to talk about the state of, of, of the workplace, the state of the world right now. I think that a lot of us were hoping that 2023 would be the year that the people space would begin stabilizing, but we're three quarters of the way through the year and it doesn't seem like this is going to be the year. It's like almost... Every other month, there's there's something there's something new, and now a couple of weeks into Q4, uh, which a lot of people call the people quarter. What like what's your view on the current state of of HR? I've got two C words that are top of mind for me right now as I think about everything: complexity and conflict. From a complexity perspective, so I mentioned Tech Talent North a little bit earlier, um, the sheer breadth of really deep, meaningful topics and functions and different things that HR leaders need to be thinking about right now and moving forward is astonishing. Like the skill set and the toolkit that people and culture leaders need to be able to address and work within, it has never been as broad as it is right now. Yesterday at the conference, we had items, honestly, ranging from AI, machine learning, how is that impacting the space, to truly needing to have a psychology degree to navigate the emotional state of employees in the workplace right now. I can't think of any other function that's operating that has to be more multidisciplinary than HR today in the world we're operating in. So that's the complexity piece from a conflict perspective, like, wow, uh, you said it, Daniel, like we've been waiting for the world to allow us to maybe catch our breath, have some stability, but we've just gone from COVID to economic crisis to layoffs. And now state of the world we're in with terrorism and war, navigating this is just exhausting and unbelievably difficult. I'm I'm curious from from uh was it called Tech Talent? Is that where you were at yesterday? Tech Talent North, run by the uh, the great folks at the Tap Network. So, I guess like what was the what was the takeaway from that conversation? Addressing the two C's that that the sheer breadth of of all of the things that HR leaders need to be experts on, plus having to deal with all of the tough things going on in the world. Like, did you come away from that conversation with like a takeaway or two? I came away with a million and one takeaways, which was the problem. You can't execute against all of them. I'll share a couple though. So our lunchtime keynote was wonderful human being, Norm Pure, 
from the Energy Project talking about like really grounded strategies on navigating complexity and burnout in the world that we're in. The Energy Project is a great organization. They help take the science of high-performing athletes and translate it into how we operate in the corporate space. And so thinking about the importance of renewal and recharging so that you can go and face the challenges and the complexity, not just trying to grind your way through. I thought that was brilliant. And he provided some really great frameworks and tactics to take away. So the reality is, as we get hit with this complexity and conflict, like we need to be able to ground ourselves to be able to face it. So thinking about how we manage our own energy, how we build our days, super important. So that was a wonderful session. The opening keynote by Camille Dundas was all about navigating microaggressions in the workplace. And when I think about conflict, conflict's about division. And Camille reframed these concepts of microaggressions as acts of exclusion. And in a world of division, being able to identify those acts of exclusion, calling them out, fighting against them, making sure we're not doing them ourselves, it's a beautiful and meaningful step to try to bridge the gap of conflict. And I, I definitely want to come back because I think that is very well put. I think the world today is so divisive and mm -hmm. it is obviously spilling into the workplace. And that is a major challenge on top of all the other things <laughs> that are happening right now and things that, that people leaders are grappling with. But when we talk about complexity one of the things that I think of during highly complex times in situations where so much change is happening, the first thing that comes to mind is prioritization. And so how are, how are, what are some of the differences in how you are prioritizing initiatives, spend, that sort of thing today versus how you were prioritizing a year ago? And the follow-on to that is like, what what do you hear other people, leaders, and, and yourself, what are the most important things to prioritize right now uh, from your, your point of view? I think, honestly, the macro strategy that you're driving in your organization needs to be as hyper-focused as possible. Every single human, almost on planet Earth right now, is feeling overload and overwhelmed. Work is a component of that, but an unbelievably turbulent, nonstop changing world is certainly contributing to that. So how, from a professional perspective, can we laser focus, no shiny object syndrome, really clearly articulate, this is our number one priority. This is what we have to deliver on. We're, and this is what we're saying no to. And make sure the team hears it and you actually live it. If you can't rationalize the business strategy and hyper-focus, I feel like you're dead in the water because your people are just going to be left flailing, too many demands coming at them and not able to prioritize. Interesting. You're the second person. So yesterday we had a off the record chat with one of our modern people leader community members, Q Hamarani, formerly of Airbnb. Now he's at an ed tech company called uh, Paper. And he was walking us through some, some things that he had been saying no to and working directly with the executive team on challenging and saying no. What does that process of saying no look like for, for you and your role? And I think a great example would be at Seven Shifts, we utilize something called the, the EOS operating system. So entrepreneurial operating system. It's, it's a cadence and a methodology to keep alignment, strategy, all that stuff. You're smiling. I'm sure you know it. So awesome. You're speaking my language. We yeah. use it. 
<laughs> Beautiful. I love that. And so we were just doing an update into our vision traction organizer, the VTO. And a large part of the update was like, delete, 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 delete. Get words out. Get markets out that aren't our focus market. Like, what can we pull out of here to tell the organization, this is what we're doing. Don't get distracted. This. And we sat as a senior leadership team and really pushed. What can we rationalize? What are the repercussions of doing that? And are we comfortable with those trade-offs? It's really powerful to carve out the space to have those conversations. It was literally a meeting focused on what are we saying no to? Yeah, that's 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 definitely smart. I, I want to go back to uh, everything that's going on in the world. I feel like it's impossible to ignore, specifically what's going on in, in the Middle East. Uh, and I I feel like this is like a really, this is just another example of a really tricky situation for people leaders to navigate because you want all of your people to feel supported. You don't want them to feel like they're suffering. Like you said, those microaggressions, you don't want to create any division. So you want I'm people, curious. you want people to feel heard. Exactly. Right? You want people to feel heard. So how do you, how do you personally approach, I guess, listening to all of the various employee perspectives and create an environment where people feel like it's a safe space? So this, this is a really tough one for me. So I'm, I'm personally connected and impacted by the situation that's happening over in, in Israel and Gaza right now. First and foremost, you give no space for hate or hateful rhetoric, literally zero tolerance. So there's space for discussion. There's no space for hate. And you have to stamp that out. Beyond that, I think you have to call out and appreciate that people are suffering. People in the Middle East, people now across the globe as anti-Semitism, Islamophobia starts running rampant, there is suffering happening globally right now. We need to know that both our Jewish and our Arabic employees are carrying massive emotional burdens on a day-to-day -day basis. So we as leaders, we have to call that out and we have to try to give managers some tools to help them navigate this on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't have great answers. I can say the folks at Ross Signal Group, they're amazing thought leaders here out of Toronto. They put out a really thoughtful piece about managing and leading during a polycrisis. So polycrisis is when you've got a multitude of different horrible things that are all stacking on top of each other. And what I found most pertinent there was don't assume what people need during times of strife. Ask them directly. I know for me, time away from work would be catastrophic to my mental health. Work to me has been like this beautiful solace and like safe, wonderful environment with great humans that can distract me from the horrors of the world. For others, they might actually need and appreciate that space away because they can't be in an environment where they have to interact with others. The only way we can find out how to help our people is to be human and have the one-on-one -on -one conversations asking them. 
That's interesting because that's like counterintuitive for me <laughs> as a people pleaser and someone who ultimately wants other people to like me. One of the things that I always struggle with is like, how do I talk about these tough things and, and keep everyone happy knowing that there are certain things that, that in the world that you're there's it's impossible. You know, you can't keep everyone happy. And, and so my natural instinct is like, oh, well then don't talk. And, and I know that that's the wrong response. And, and so I'm just curious, like what, uh, for the other manager, people managers out there that are fearful of just the idea of having these uncomfortable conversations, like what are some ways that you've, uh, you've seen others find that courage? Uh, to kind of lean into these conversations because I, I I agree with you and I, I I totally believe that the the first step is just allowing is helping to create the space for conversations and for understanding and the only and, and the best way of doing that is by listening but if you're not having the it, it's counterintuitive right for me at least if you're not having the conversations you're not creating the opportunity to listen and to have the conversation. And so what are some, some like approaches that you've, you've seen others take to kind of lean into that? Well, the biggest challenge is the first step actually happened six months ago. The first step is you need to make sure that you have trust with your team, right? It's foundational for absolutely everything. If you haven't spent the time and energy to get to know your people, build that trust, let them know you have a good heart, you come from a good place, you have good intentions, it's very, very difficult to have those very difficult, deep conversations. So if you have a new team or you've never spent time actually getting to know your people and you're digging into a horrific conflict with terrorism and religion and geopolitical issues, like you're done. Like you need to go and actually like just be human, get to know your people. Once you have that trust, I think it empowers you to put the conversation on the table and say, listen, this is a dark, scary time. There's a lot of feelings and a lot of stuff happening right now. I want you to know that I see you. I see you as humans. And I know you all come with good intentions and I won't get offended by questions. I won't get offended if you open up respectful conversation. So if you need to have that, and it will be meaningful for you, know that we can do that. And laying that out to set the space so that you can do it like humans, I, I think that's unbelievably important in the workplace today. I love that. I love that. And it's uh, it's just so, if if we could go back in time and walk in and like see a video of like what is happening today and how like what's happening at the workplace what's happening in the world i don't think anyone would believe these things but the fact that i and i think this is legit advice for people managers like spend time with your team spend time with your employees get to get to know them and understand them and build that trust like i, I would have taken that for granted i wouldn't even believe that this would be a future issue but here we are today. And so our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone, everyone that's impacted 
uh, to you specifically, Josh, to to others in the region. It, it's a horrible, horrible situation. And so, and and we, I also am throwing out all the positive energy out to people managers out there to lean into these tough conversations because it, it's time to talk and it's time to listen. And so with that, we, we, we have to keep moving because there's a, some, some other really great questions we want to ask you, Josh. So Josh, would you, is it safe to say that you're a bit obsessed with unlocking team performance? It is something that is very, very, very near and dear to my heart, which I am sure Anna, my brilliant learning and development manager will attest to. <laughs> Well, and there's of of all the things that one could be obsessed with, you you definitely to me, I want my people leader obsessed with team performance and how to take performance to to the next level. And in our in our prep call, you mentioned having spent a material amount of time and resources at Seven Shifts training, educating your people on how to optimize their their team performance. And so I'm just, you know, zoom out a little bit, walk us through like the origins uh, for this focus or obsession as, uh, as we put it earlier. It, it feels like a superhero origin story. So I'm always down for superhero stories. Um, I, I think it's twofold. One is from like the life of 17 year old Josh, and one would be more recent. If I go back in time to the first job that I really ever cared about in any capacity, it was running a summer camp. And when you're doing that, you're contributing to like the foundational development of the next generation. It is an unbelievable responsibility for a teenager that knows nothing about life. And I took it really, really seriously. I'm still involved with the organization that the camp runs out of. I sat on their board for a few years. I chat with their executive director on, on a weekly basis to continue to provide support because I know the impact that that organization can have. I know what I learned in camp helped shape the human that I am here today. So ever since then, learning and development to me has always been such an incredible opportunity to truly change people and also change the world. So that's kind of the, the foundations. Secondly, I, I, I don't think you have a bigger leverage point in trying to drive your business forward. If you help people focus on the work that matters most, equip them with the knowledge and the tools they need, and then give them the context to go off and do the most meaningful work of their careers, like that pretty much is how you build world-changing organizations. And just thinking about some of the misconceptions, because you, you shared some of the materials that you've rolled out at Seven Shifts. And one of the things that struck me is there's quite a bit of real estate in those materials around common misbeliefs. And so what are what are some of the, the biggest misconceptions that people have about performance? So I think the biggest one is you cannot leverage time as a resource to get more done. Like if there was a 25th hour in the day, we would have found it already. So asking your employees to just work more in service of your goals is not really a sustainable strategy to drive performance in your organization. Like we're already pushing the boundaries on how much time we can give you out of our week. I, I do feel like that hustle and grind mentality that existed a few years ago has really started to fade away. Uh, that may be a positive outcome of the pandemic. Um, and that mentality wasn't actually grounded in 
practical reality or science. So I mentioned the energy project earlier, taking that science of high-performing athletes and applying it to the world of corporate life. So like the TLDR on their thesis is our energy, like everything, ebbs and flows. So we have something called an ultradian rhythm that means we can only drive 90 minutes of high performance. That could be pumping iron in the gym. It could be cranking out code. It could be working through a strategic sales plan, whatever it is, before our performance starts to dip. And when that dip happens, you need to do something to renew, recharge, and pull yourself back up. So the organizations that are creating structures and practices that are forcing employees to do 10 hours of back-to-back-to-back meetings, all you're doing is guaranteeing that your employees are not operating at peak performance levels. How do we operate smarter? It's interesting. Uh, Since starting our own business and now not working in the corporate world for the first time, the schedule that I've set for myself is is almost exactly what you're describing. I wake up at about like 7.30 or 8. I work from 8.30 to 10. I then will go on a walk or like take a break, go, go bother my wife in her office. I'll then get back to work, work for about 60 minutes, take another break, have lunch. And then in the afternoon, I have about like 90 minutes of like heads down focus time. And before you know it, it's like 4.30 or 5. And I'm like, I need to go work out. I'll go to the gym, get like an hour of a workout in, come back home, maybe get like 45, 60 more minutes done. But my day's broken into sections where I know what I need to get done in different portions of the day, depending on like when I typically do those types of activities. And then in between, I have these these rest times. And I know Steven has a similar approach because I see the walks coming in on my Apple Watch throughout the day. Dang it. Dang it. <laughs> Busted. No, no. That's the wrong mindset though, Steven. It's not busted. It's the right behaviors to keep you performing at the highest level. Nothing makes me happier than when I see our chief product officer, Riz, who's a beautiful human being, update his Slack status with a lightning bolt. And it says, renewal walk, recharging my energy. This is a senior executive showing the organization that pausing doing something good for your body will allow you to come to that next meeting and be the best version of you. That's like that Apple watch ding. That is accountability on doing the right things. And I I can't be on my own though, as like an old head Gen Xer, like I I'm old school. Like that, that was crazy for you to call out like that was literally my natural my my natural wired reaction because i was i was raised in a time and i was trained to believe in working you work a certain way and if you work this way then you will get raises and bonuses and rewards and so i it i have unwound that way of thinking it took a lot it You've was gotten a really lot really hard I, I yeah I still have a lot of work to do 
obviously, but you, I can't be on my own here. And so what has it been like rolling out these concepts to a company that I'm sure has a demographic that's very much like the world, right? All sorts of generations. So tell us a little bit about what adoption has looked like when you've rolled out these, these philosophies. Well, well, Stephen, you hit the nail on the head, right? We're battling against decades and decades and decades of bad practices around how we work. So we need to show leaders a new paradigm, a better way, and give them both the language and the accountability to deploy it and then see that it works, right? And hold each other accountable to it. So bringing in an organization that can give you the simple frameworks, the language, some of the things to practice, having joint accountability with your team on like, here's a renewal ritual we're going to do either as a team or as an organization. And here's why. And here's the science behind it. Really simple example that we do at Seven Shifts. We really, really, really encourage every employee to set up their Google Calendar for Google Speedy Meetings. So instead of 30 minutes, it's 25 instead of 60, it's 50. And no, do not creep into that extra time. That time is designed for you to stand up, to move your body, to go get a water, to hug your dog, to bug your wife, whatever it is you need to do to give yourself some energy to show up for the next meeting. And and oh. what are some of these, these other, uh, I guess, like you mentioned, we have decades of bad practices. One of the, one of the bad practices that you already mentioned is feeling like you need to work every minute of the day from nine to five. But I'm curious, like, what are, what, what are some of the other ones? Honestly, that's the crux of it. Like, if you think about the world, everything's a rhythm, your heartbeat, your pulse, the day night cycle, the tide, like we listen to all of these rhythms, right? When something happens to our heart, we're like, oh, I should probably listen to that and change my behavior in some capacity. But for whatever reason in the workforce, we've decided I don't listen to my ultradian rhythm. Have you ever had that moment where you're like reading a paragraph and you go over the same sentence like four times and you're like, oh, all what's wrong with me? You go get a coffee or you try to power through. You're not listening to science. Your body is telling you, no, no, no. You are not performing where you need. You need to go renew, then come back and do this work. We just try to power through. It's, it's a broken model. I have to confess that, you know, I, there are kind of two phases to my, to my entrepreneurial journey. I've, I, I left the corporate world in 2011 and I guess I'm kind of in between right now because I sold my company, my most recent company in April of this year. And so that's like a decade of entrepreneurship and being the boss. And for, for the first half of that, I have subscribed to the old way of thinking, which is you got to work 10, 11, 12 hour days. Like I got to get through as much stuff in my, my to-do list as I, as I possibly can. We need to be in the office and we need to work together. And I need to see people doing work to, to believe that, that work is getting done. That was like the first half of the the last decade. The the second half was embracing these new ways. And some of it was already happening at Workify like pre-pandemic. And then with the pandemic, obviously that accelerated a lot of the change that was happening and or a lot of the challenging of these myths, these beliefs, these outdated ways of thinking. 
And for me, the most powerful, I guess, example that this new way actually works was asynchronous work. When I, through the collaboration with, with my employees at my company, unlocked the power of asynchronous work, that's when I was like, oh, wow, like this has the potential to be so much more effective and efficient and higher quality work than what we were doing. Like, I could see it. In, in, in the day-to-day -day output of what the team was putting together, what are some of the other aha moments that you see other executives having when you know they've they've had a chance to work this way, this different way that that you're describing? I think if you take like the core of the philosophies and apply them to how you think about you how you structure your day, your week, your month, it forces you to really take a hard look at your activities. So there's always this like FOMO around meetings. Like, oh, I need to be there. Like, I need this update. Like, do you really? Or could you get that update async? Save yourself that hour, spend 45 minutes of it doing really amazing, important focus work, take a 15 minute renewal and be a better human overall. Like rationalizing, making those types of decisions. Can you delegate? Like, now that we have a ton of technology, like are we leveraging AI to empower more junior employees to do more mission critical work? We heard a great story at Tech Talent North yesterday. I can't remember which consulting firm it was. I think it was McKinsey, but please don't quote me on that. They took almost all of their learnings, threw it into their own proprietary AI engine. And now the most junior consultants can pull really meaningful insights and action items from the history of McKinsey's knowledge. That couldn't have happened previously, but it's leveraging technology to allow senior leaders to delegate things they couldn't have delegated before. How do we do that more pervasively? We have to start these types of questions. And before we we wrap up, I have I have one one last question just on the this this work that you're doing around energy and team performance. If this is if we're still at kind of the early days of some of these these principles, what does the future look like? Like, is there is there a three hundred one like a, a next level up from here, or at least the some of the things that you're you're sharing with us? What does the future look like? What do you think the next iteration of this kind of work looks like? It's it's interesting because I, I if I had to actually look in a crystal ball and make a prediction, I think the iteration and the toolkit. As technology continues to evolve, it's the humanity that becomes the differentiator. And how do we as leaders drive focus in a noisy world, build trust in a disconnected world, and throw in a dash of fun in a dark, scary world? And if you can do that in a really human way, like to me, that will unlock the next potential for your people. I love that. All right, so we we only have we only have you for six or seven more minutes. So we're gonna have to move to rapid fire questions. So we ask the same set of questions to every guest, and um, we'll try to get through them as quickly as possible. So question one: How do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? Yeah. So for me, as technology becomes more pervasive, the modern people leader becomes more human. Create connection, build trust bring your team together in a world that's divided by technology and conflict and all that other stuff. Like Patrick uh, Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions, 
it's still pertinent for a reason. Trust is foundational to everything. All right, question two. If you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old you, what career advice would you give yourself and why? I think just be you. Be as you as you can possibly be. I don't, I don't think I really felt fully comfortable in my own skin until my late 30s. And I think I probably could have done so much more and enjoyed the ride more <clears throat> if I leaned in harder to just being me. Mm, I love that. All right, last question. Is there anything that you believe to be true about the world of work, but you don't yet have the data to support? Last time somebody asked me to do a prediction like this, I said that COVID wouldn't change the world. And we were only like, <laughs> we, were, we were like two weeks into the pandemic. And I, uh, I definitely ate crow on that one. Oh. But we'll try this again. I am absolutely not a return to office advocate. I love being at home with my dog. But, and this is a huge but, I do deeply believe that in-person interactions and the organizations who are super thoughtful in fostering those on a regular basis will build stronger, more effective cultures than those who go fully remote and don't think about how they connect their people like humans. It's a good one. Ooh, the debate rages on. Here we are. We're still not settled. And uh, I, I don't disagree with anything that, that you shared and so we're we have two final final rituals before we we wrap up the show. Um, I believe the next question is actually how we we got to you, and that is through through nomination. And so, if you were to choose one or two people people that you know absolutely their voices need to be heard. Like they, we, we need to showcase the innovation that they're doing in our space. Who would those individuals be? Who should we bring on to the show next? I was just with 300 amazing people ah. in culture leaders. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you three and two of the three I've already mentioned in this podcast. So the first is one I did not mention. In a world as dark as this, we need shining lights. And I have not met many lights who shine brighter than Amanda Small who is one of the most empathetic, big-hearted, big-brained HR leaders I've ever met. She's an awesome human. So that's one. We talked about the Ross Signal Group. Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale are brilliant. They tap into the zeitgeist like no one else I've ever met, and they share back in the most pertinent ways possible. And then the last one, how do I not call out the team at the Energy Project? Uh, my boy, Norm Pure there is a senior facilitator and literally... One of the best of the best. You can't go wrong with him. Wow. Well, those three is better than one or two and all sound amazing. So we would be honored to have them. Of course, we we always reach out and, and invite the, uh, the suggestions to our show. So we'll see um, if we can get them on, but we would be honored. And that gets us to our last ritual. And we call it one word or phrase closed. So it can be a word or a few words. Um, each of us will respond in a way that as we reflect on this great conversation we've had, just a, a meaningful way to, to wrap things up. I love it. Am I going first? Yeah. I, if you, if you have something, I know Daniel is ready to come in hot. No, no, I, I I'm good. I'm good. Just don't want to steal anyone's thunder. I'm going to go human connection. We need it more now than ever before. 
I'm gonna say go ah go ahead, Daniel. I'm gonna say B U. Love that. Love that. And I'm gonna go with get to know your people. It's like such simple advice, but it also seems like like difficult. It I don't know why, but I, I love that advice from the conversation earlier. And Josh, it, it's been an absolute blast. I know it, it was a, a a little while to get you on the show, but we we did it and it's been a phenomenal conversation. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing some tough thoughts on some serious topics, but we would love to have you back if you're interested in, in coming back to the MPL someday. Gentlemen, this was such a blast. I will do round two with you anytime you want. Maybe round two, we can bring uh, bring you and Joanna back for a group chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our first can full our first Canadian group chat. I that that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be really awesome. Oh, where my plaid? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, guys, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, looking forward to doing this again soon. Cheers, Jen. Right. Have a great one. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening, and and see you on the next episode.